like everyone's got their definition of sketching, but for me, sketching is that initial response to to what you're looking at. And so I want to always preserve that um, that freedom to go, hey, you know, no, actually I'm more interested in this. <laughs> Let's just keep going. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Jain. This is a podcast where I have conversations with urban sketchers around the world about the practice of drawing on location. If you're an artist, or trying to become an artist, or neither, if you're just looking for a hobby to engage your time in a positive and mindful exercise, I think you will like this show. In today's episode, I'm speaking with urban sketcher and educator Liz Steele, who is joining me all the way from Australia. We discuss the different ways that she makes the practice of art look so easy, both for the benefit of herself and her students. We talk about how Liz took the big leap from a career in architecture and the ideas and techniques from her education and experience that continue to play a role in her life. We talk about the interplay between learning and teaching and how the global urban sketching community has helped her with both of those things. One aspect of Liz's work that I admire and enjoy is the way that she talks about her art through her blogs. We go into why she writes regular blogs, what she talks about, and how that helps her art. If you follow her on Instagram, you might also notice that she does a significant number of paintings of teacups. This is something that intrigued and fascinated me, so I asked her about it. And the answer, surprisingly, is both playful and enormously significant. Today's episode is made possible by members Becky, Michelle, Fisto, Mark, Santosh and Claire. In addition, I want to give a shout out to Andrew, Sanket, Rude, Molly, Tina, Inez and others for buying me coffee to support my work. Thank you all. You have helped make this episode possible. If you enjoy an episode or if this podcast has helped you in any significant way, it is now just that easy to show me your support. Follow the link in the show notes and buy me a cup of coffee. And while you're there, also check out the exciting new giveaways that I have to offer. But for now, grab your coffee or tea as Liz might prefer or chai as I would prefer and let's get into this conversation. Hello, Liz, and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm so glad to be speaking with you all the way across the Pacific Ocean. Hi, Nishant. Wonderful to be here. It's such an honor to um, be on this podcast. I'm a massive fan of what you've been doing. So thank you so much for asking me. Liz, I have many different questions for you based on the kind of art you make, and I love how varied it is. I've been following your art for several years, but especially for this episode, when I started to do some research into your work, I looked into your website, I looked at your bio, and I was fascinated by the journey that you've taken as a person, as a professional, and as an artist. Could you tell me a little bit about this? I want to know how you became an architect, what sparked your interest in architecture, and the kind of work you did professionally. Okay, sure. Um, Well, 
I've um, actually always wanted to be an architect since I was very young. So when I was uh, seven or eight, um, a friend and I started drawing buildings and, and then um, my dad um, showed me that there was such a thing as a floor plan, a drawing that it described the rooms of a house. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Um, and I then decided, I discovered there was such a thing as an architect who designed buildings and, and um, yeah, I thought that's what I want to be. I told my best friend and she said, no, you can't do that. That's a man's job. Um, and I said, no, no, I found a book in the library called She's an Architect, which is all of this coming out of the 70s, you know, women can do any type of thing. So it was this book in, the li in my local library um, all about, you know, female architects and I thought that's what I want to do. Um, and so, yeah, there was always clear clear vision I think when I was about 10 or 11 my dad for Christmas bought me a drawing board and a t-square and a set square and um, all the different micron pens um, so always been interested in the drawing side of architecture uh, and that like continued um, like through my my education as well the education was very strong on doing art and doing sketching in some point um, and then when I started working in a small practice, I actually remember at the end of the first year talking to my boss about what my goals for next year was. And I went, I want to be able to draw freehand details like one of our engineers that we worked with. Um, so always that idea of drawing, um, even in a digital age, I would always do a lot of freehand drawings um, to show clients um, early concepts of drawings, uh, buildings, um, and also construction details for buildings. So I worked on a in a very small firm on a very large range of projects. Um, and actually, in fact, um, my specialty became television studios. Uh, and I designed, uh, did a lot of work for a number of, of the main um, broadcasters uh, here in, in Australia or all over Australia. But I also did like one or two houses a year as well. A lot of office fit outs. I did a bit of everything. Um, so really... It's interesting when I look back, doing a lot of big projects in a small firm um, gave me so many, so many skills which I use now for um, what I do um, now as, an, as a full-time artist and teacher. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, what kind of design goes into television studios? <laughs> um, a, lot of, um, a lot of very technical things to do with backup power and generators and lighting grids and flat concrete floors. Um, and I mean, a lot of it's just office space, but yeah, there, there's, there's, um, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff. And interestingly, I know you, you were living in Chicago. When I was in Chicago for um, the Urban Sketches Symposium, I was asked to go on the morning show. Um, and um, I was just going, wow, look at this. They're not even closing the doors. And I was looking at the lighting grids and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, a lot of it, it sounds exciting, but a lot of it was very technical. Um, once you then start getting down to the, the nitty-gritty of, of, of the, yeah, the tech side of things. Yeah, I, I actually relate to that a bit because I used to be a mechanical engineer. So I've done a lot of technical drawings and engineering drawings. So I can see how so much of it is already pre-planned. Like you have to have spaces for certain things and certain things have to be next to each other or in a certain proportion to each other. But it's it's still, it's what fascinates me about architecture is how it seems like there is the art in it but it is bound around these very practical rules and these practical constraints and limitations. So the the way that architects depict creativity inside those boundaries, 
that's that's so interesting to me uh could you tell me like you mentioned that you were even while you were working as an architect you were still interested in communicating with freehand sketches what do you see as the what did you see then and how do you see now as the the value of those even when you have architectural drawings and you have the technical drawings how how does the freehand sketch enhance that fantastic question because uh i just i love talking about these because it, it's actually the um main foundation but before but behind the way i work okay so i've come into art and to urban sketching and painting from a different very different background and for me um drawing is a tool as part of the design process and it's a very specific type of drawing and it's it's all about um, drawing very rapidly um, like if you're stuck you start drawing you keep drawing I mean even as an engineer you probably sometimes when you're trying to solve a problem you're using drawing as a way of oh if I just change the angle if I draw it from a different um, you know I draw a plan I draw a section I draw like a, a 3d view of it as I keep drawing um, the ideas keep flowing and the in like in a way the inaccuracy of the the ability my ability to be able to draw can sometimes spike spark other ideas and so it's this lovely um kind of relationship between the mind the eye and the hand who are all working in sync doing stuff to come up with this discovery this idea and there's an incredible flow in terms of your drawing so you're not worried about the drawing you're worried about the design the story wait you know the the design the idea um which then translates to when you sketch the story um and it's this flow between you're not even thinking about the drawing it just happens and it's this this lovely feeling of that adrenaline rush of discovery and that's how I've that's how I've what I've brought into my art so I don't care about a pretty picture I want to sketch with the same flow and freedom and um, excitement that I have when I'm designing as an architect yeah that makes that makes so much sense how you mentioned that you know you've got the the rules and the design principles and the, the the goal that you have in mind you've got that in mind but when you're drawing then you're almost again channeling a part of your subconscious and your mind is just sort of playing with it you can you can discover things after having drawn it that wouldn't have occurred to you if you spent time just actively thinking about it Exactly, exactly. And if you're stuck, you just keep drawing, right? So, and it's in the, while you're drawing, you think, ah, ah, I could do this. What happens if I drew this or that didn't turn out? Um, and so that's when, when I draw, when I sketch as well now, um, I don't want to plan beforehand. I want to have that spirit of discovery. I don't mind about the mistakes I make on the page because that's all part of that. Oh, wow. Well, like if I'm drawing a building. Oh, wow. Look at that. I thought it was symmetrical and it's not symmetrical. <laughs> well, it's isn't it very, uh, was it a challenge for you to think that uh, coming from an architecture background to approach drawing without the planning aspect of it because I say this because I love to get into my drawings whether it's a building whether it's a person or any kind of urban scene I love to get into it without the plan without the need for a pencil touch or some kind of just allocation of elements and spaces I just get into it and then I see what comes off it but I feel like uh, I don't know if that's very common and I feel like people who are more trained in in preparing sketches in preparing drawings for according to proportion i would think that it would be a little tougher how, how did you feel about jumping into your drawings freehand um a oh, lot, lot to unpack there um so yeah um i 
I know that you because I know that you draw straight to ink. So when I first started sketching, I I always drew a bit of a pencil uh, a pencil layout first. So that that was then, ah, this is what I want to do. This then frees my lines up so I'm not worried about where I'm going. But I do think that, like, generally um, the art world and the painting world and painters, they if you're trying to produce something that is going to go on the wall, right, you don't want to waste your good, you know, your expensive watercolour paper. You need to plan. And so... And so it's this, it's this conflict behind if you want a good result, then a bit of planning is, is very, very advisable. But for me, um, I'm trying to work out ways where the planning becomes integrated in the way that I work. So there's some, so, so there's some ways. So like when I do a pencil, I'm not trying to draw everything in pencil and then trace over. I'm just trying to do that initial planning stage very quickly in 30 seconds, enough to go, right, I know exactly where I'm going. And then when I work, some of the ways that I work, such as putting paint down first and things like that, is in a way an inbuilt value study. Or it's so so I'm trying to like it's taken me years to develop these techniques, but I'm trying to do the planning as I'm working and work in a way that en- enables uh, the planning to happen and to keep that spirit of discovery and excitement and risk taking. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. And that's exactly how I feel about it, too. It's uh, in my mind, it's because when I just started urban sketching, and this was uh, like maybe four years ago, I also would do a very faint pencil line underneath it for that exact reason that it would help me to make sure I wasn't making terrible like at, at there's a point where you are likely to make terrible mistakes. And you don't want you want to avoid them. But then you reach a certain level of confidence where you know that you're not going to make the big mistakes. You're going to make those fine, small errors if if you're going to make them at all. So you don't feel you you can, you know, adventure beyond this and you drop the pencil. But I love this part of what you're saying of how you're planning while you're drawing and everything gets incorporated in it. And I feel like that's how I do it too, that it's almost intuitive to me the way I draw. I don't have to think about the fact that I'm using a pen or a pencil. In fact, if I was using a pencil, I would probably also use a pencil without an eraser because I, the way I draw, I wouldn't feel the need to erase something out of my way. Yes, this the same with me. I mean, I you know people say, why don't you um, you know erase your lines? Or I used to use a red pencil, right? So um, the idea with the red pencil is that I am documenting my first response of putting the thing on the page. So it's not, it, it, it's still there and you can see it and it's there as a history of the sketch. Um, but I still, so even though I paint first, I, I, you know, I think, oh, I still actually like that gestural response first. So even though I, I, I don't use pencil first, I mean, I, I sometimes do, but, um, but most of the time I actually use paint first, but I'm using it still in that, it's just that like it's a safety net to give me the freedom late like when I then pick up my pen or start putting the details in it's like ah here's the first response um and you know I, I don't think you ever need to like I don't think you ever need to grow out of it if that's what then gets you the results although of course as you say the more confident you are the more you know the more experienced you are the more you can just start one place and you've got you've got a sense of where where it's 
going to go potentially. Um, and that's the other thing I love about I don't like planning my sketches because I change my mind as I'm working. Um, I'm always I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I will extend this. Maybe I thought I was just going to start here. I'm going to keep going. And that for me is the spirit of sketching. Like everyone's got the definition of sketching. But for me, sketching is that initial response to, to what you're looking at. And so I want to always preserve that. Um, that freedom to go, hey, you know, no, actually, I'm more interested in this. <laughs> let's just keep going. <laughs> oh, I so agree. Uh, let's let's uh, go to this moment where when you were working as an architect and you took this decision to leave that career and to become a full time artist, illustrator, instructor. What happened that prompted this decision, and how did you how did you go about making this leap? Okay, so <laughs> that's a big question, big topic. Um, in in one sense, the the way um, the way that um, a lot of people interpreted what I did was yes, I did one day, kind of just before Christmas in two thousand and twelve, I actually left a, a, a my career permanently for architecture overnight with no plan with what I was going to do. So in a way, the simple one sentence is I did this crazy thing, which you, which goes against all conventional wisdom. You know, all conventional wisdom say if you want to change careers and do your passion project, do a side hustle, you know, work really hard, work out how you're going to make money, transition into part-time, and then and then at least you know. But no, not me. Um, I think there's like three um, factors that went into that, that decision. Um, the first one is just the um, obsessive nature of sketching and sharing it online and blogging about it, which has happening for about five years or so before that. So, um, for me, it became like an extension of what I was doing. Well, architects design, like do drawings to design buildings, then they send them to the clients and they write about it. So that idea of doing a drawing and then writing commentary to explain the design um, is something that's second nature to me. So I really started, you know, obsessively blogging every sketch that I did um, and just really like I loved doing that. I loved doing the work associated with that um and I mean this is before Instagram and Facebook it was like Flickr was the place or blogger blog spots um and so I was there part of it I was I was also um invited to be part of the blog um the Urban Sketches blog in the first week when it started which was just a very magical time like I kind of knew when Gabby asked me that that was something significant that it was going to change my life um, and so just that idea that I was suddenly part of this incredible network of people scattered around the world who were all sharing our experiences onto this common blog, because this is before we had local groups and things like that, so it was more just the individuals. And um, and also I had I'd worked in, I had had some really long um, holidays, vacation time. So in Australia, if you work 10, pl- 10 years in the one work, um, workplace, you get additional two months of paid vacation. And so I'd been a long time in my place of employment and so I was able to do some really long trips um, but as paid vacation just right when Urban Sketches, like 11 weeks after the first Urban Sketches Symposium in Portland. And so I really got the sense that, oh, wow, I'm in, I'm in just this really, really special place when I'm travelling and sketching. I also really love creating documents, like documenting my work, writing that. So is it... Is there something I could do with it? I don't know, but I'm just really loving this as a as a passion. So there was so there's this momentum building of what of creating work. Um, 
and audience building, I suppose, but without any idea of converting that because I was working. I love being an architect and working full time. And I think the second piece is related to urban sketches as well, which is um, because I was constantly writing about my work, a number of the urban sketches um, correspondents who were educators actually kept saying to me, oh, I think you should be teaching. Would you Have you ever thought about teaching? Um, and I'm like, no, 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 I don't know enough. I just want to learn. You know, I don't care about teaching. It's <laughs> yeah. just I want to learn. And then, and then at the second symposium in Lisbon, um, my dear friend Matthew Brem gave this wonderful lecture on um, how he teaches um, drawing on location to his architecture students in Rome and other things. And in his introduction, he had this, he made this one sentence, which was, um, teaching is a form of aggressive learning. And that was like this lightning bolt strike that just hit me. I was sitting in the audience going, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. This is what they're talking about. And from that moment, I went, oh, I want to teach. I see it. I understand it. I really, so I really, I then so all of a sudden got this other, so it was obsessively creating work. And then this other thing about teaching, um, I then had an amazing experience of teaching in the third Urban Sketches Symposium in Santa Domingo, Dominican Republic. Um, which was just six months before I left architecture. So these things are growing in the background, but without really any idea of I'm going to do a massive, a, a massive career change. Like I was thinking in my mind, maybe I could go down to three days a week architecture, one day sketching, one day teaching. But I was too, I was too nervous. I was too scared to do something radical like that. No, <laughs> what do I end up doing? I end up leaving completely. Because um, I kind of felt like to be, be to really become, to really work out how to teach properly um, and to really codify my way of working, I needed a real break. Um, and so the third piece, which, you know, I don't talk a lot about on my blog at all, I really only ever talk about it when I'm having podcast interviews or conversations, is the fact that the third, the third thing, which is really the catalyst, is I had my jaw realigned. Um, in that six-month period after that Urban Sketches Symposium when I left work, and um, I had a lot of chronic pain, headaches that the jaw realignment was to help. It wasn't like an operation that needed that I needed time off. It was um, more a, a plate that I wore for a number of months. And I just thought, oh, I just it's quite it's quite a big thing to have happen. And I just thought I need a break. Um, you know, my architecture career and job is very demanding. I just need a break. So. Initially, we were talking about just having three months off. And then I thought, no, if I'm going to have a proper break, it needs to be at least six months. And I want to make a hard break. I want to actually, I can hardly talk about this without feeling <laughs> emotional. Um, I want to have a hard break so I can have a proper, like, a, yeah, like actually resign so I can have a proper yeah. break and just no pressure. I can I'll give myself six months and then reassess. And like, you know, my boss was waiting for me to come back three days a week. <laughs> after six months so it's not like I didn't have a safety net um and I had some family support but I was basically I had no idea I was living off my savings and but it's the it's the physical the personal aspect which was the thing that forced my hand so people think I was really brave but in a way it was like I was locked into the corner and my jaw was saying Lizzie if you don't have a break something's gonna happen go <laughs> But everyone interpreted that, everyone interpreted that as being, oh, Liz has made this decision. She's being a full-time artist. Yay. It was like, no, it wasn't really quite like that. I mean, it's turned out to be that, but it wasn't that at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's such a lovely story. Thanks for sharing it. 
I and I they are so right that you know you don't always have an idea of how what shape things are going to take. You can only have some amount of faith and trust that you know whatever it is it's going to be good because of these uh, these XYZ reasons. And of course it's not completely unprepared because you are doing things, you are you're making a lot of sketches, you're blogging about it, you're getting a lot of validation from people in the community. So you have some ground to stand upon and things, you know, a way to glimpse at a new a new change and then well, you know, it's it's so interesting to me that things just sort of happen that precipitate that that catalyze that and those things just happen to come into our lives at that kind of time so like i while i was listening to you talk about the symposium and things and i was thinking that uh, in my case i have always my whole life i've always wanted to be a writer and i became an engineer and i was i did a masters degree in the netherlands and i was doing a phd program but i wanted to be a writer instead and then i just happened to for research reasons go to chicago and i was at the northwestern university running experiments during the day but i was just so enamored by the city and i would go in the evening to see stand up comedy and musicians and and i would see all these people who were creative and who were giving their lives to their creative pursuits and they just inspired me to do this thing and uh, just like you i was also doing things on the side and i had this firm idea that first it needs to be a sustainable side hustle before i know you know every step has to be measured every step has to have a lot of good solid foundations underneath it but at some point you still have to take a jump <laughs> at some point you don't have a step in front of you there's a bit of a chasm and you don't know but you just you just go for it so i went for it and even until then i had no plans to be an artist and now 4 years after that i'm suddenly uh, less of a writer and i sell art and i'm an artist and people want to buy my drawings which sometimes i think so- sounds so absurd in my head that somebody wants something that i drew on paper but uh, that's it just it just works out if you keep like in what i hear from you also is that you keep following things that make you curious things that make you passionate and things things keep falling into place provided you have you know you you take care of a lot of things here you're doing a lot of work and i want to pick a little bit about that because uh, i know a lot of sketchers who sketch very regularly but not everyone is able to talk about their sketches or blog about their sketches so you mentioned how an architecture background also helps you to express what you're saying in your sketches how do you how do you go about doing this what are the kind of posts that you would write about your daily sketch activities Uh yeah, uh, another good question. Interesting that you say you were a writer and now you feel like you're an artist. I actually feel like I spend more time writing now for the business. I'm always writing emails and all this content and everything. I write more than I create in some ways. So it was like interesting. But yeah, I think um yeah, architects, you know, have to be what was you saying before about the functional nature of it we have to be able to articulate why why we design something in a special way because you know the client is paying we've got to try and um, make the client happy um and so um yeah that's just kind of like i'm always yeah always thinking about the process and the reasons why i did certain things so that's just part of my architectural background that i brought into the art um but the other thing and it's it's super interesting because um 
right at the moment I'm having a break from Instagram because I want to revive my blog, my blogging style because I'm, I'm going back through all the old archives. I'm working my way through eight years of blogs, um, re-uploading the images because they were embedded in Flickr and everything. And I'm just going, wow, the energy in those early blog posts, I've lost a lot as you become more sophisticated and the whole, the whole online world does. And I realised just recently in the last couple of months that the best time for me to write is immediately after I've done my sketch. And that's part of the fact that, blog, you know, the fact that my blog became more serious and people want, you know, product reviews and all this stuff. I've lost that idea of, hey, I've just done this sketch. I've got all of these ideas in my head. Um, what am I going to write about? Like it just comes out. I just like swivel swivel from my workbench back over here or if I've been out, I come back, I sit down and just type and I just talk about all of the stories. This is when you're out on location. So many things happen. It's not a static environment. People come and talk to you. Um, if you're not trying to be sneaky, and I want to talk to you about that afterwards as well. Um, but you know, you, you then you, because because my sketch is not like just the end result. It's this idea of this spirit of um, discovery and exploring my subject matter. I always have so many things in my head going. Oh, I started to sketch this. The light changed, or I found the way that these two shapes worked. I don't know. I've got so much I could I could write. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I just literally did a sketch and then turned around and said, "These are all the thoughts that are in my head." I was remembering when I visited. I was just from a photo. I remembered when I visited it. I remember the connections to the Palladio buildings in in Italy and all of these other things. So all these memories come because when you draw, and I just wanted to document them you know, for my own creative purposes. And I think that for me, the more I write about the work, the more I keep myself creative. So if I just create work and then not write about it, I feel like that's a lot. It's like, oh, turn the page, forget about it. But if I write about it, that will spark more ideas. We'll go, oh, okay, I'll try this next time. So it's part of that creative process. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. And uh, I think like how you mentioned that you were blogging so much more a few years ago and it's decreased over time. It's also uh, probably coincided exactly with the rise of usage of Instagram over blogger. And I think, you know, and I'm just conjecturing here, it feels to me like uh, in the early days of the internet, I used to blog a lot. Like in the uh, in the 2000s, I would blog very religiously about stories and fictional things, etc. But when that was the primary way we communicated with the with people online, it became the way we thought and we expressed what we thought. But slowly over time, I feel like I'm starting to think of my art as the way that I'm commu the drawing and the picture of the drawing as the way that I'm communicating. And so the caption becomes just a very deliberate thing. I think about it uh, a day later or six or 20 hours after my, my drawing itself. And it's not an immediate expression of the thoughts that were running in my mind while I did the drawing. And that makes so much sense that if I let that, because you have, we have all these unorganized thoughts because the mind is kind of on autopilot while we're driving, while we're drawing. And uh, these thoughts can get lost then. But if you type them out immediately, you sort of organize them and they make sense with each, even if they're not consequential, they kind of make sense according to that drawing, according to that state of mind. Yes. And it's for you. It's for your own benefit as an artist that the writing is there. Um, and yeah, I think like, yeah, like Instagram, like I love Instagram, don't get me wrong. I love it. But I feel like my work is mainly, um, I don't, the way I look at my, I don't 
in a way, I don't see myself as an artist. I see myself as an architect who sketches her life, right? Kind of, that's kind of my goal. I mean, I know I am an artist, but I'm not, I don't care about the individual piece. I care about the story of my day, the story, the other things I put on the page. And Instagram doesn't really um, showcase that like a blog post does where I can put four or five images of like, oh, here are all the sketches I did on the day. Here's the story that ties it through together rather than just this swipe across. I know you can swipe them across, but so it's that kind of that bigger narrative of more than just one image um that 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 I like and yes you've got to capture you've got to capture the interest because people are just swiping so yes as you say the image has to tell the story (laughs) or else people just swipe they rarely they you know that it has to stop them in order for them to hit the more button you know to read everything exactly right and it's so difficult to get even from your uh, most ardent fans to get more than three seconds or five seconds of attention is nearly impossible yeah totally so uh, tell me tell me how uh, how a background in architecture would enhance your sketches like uh, wh- what do you personally most enjoy sketching when you when you're when you're outdoors and what are some cities where as coming from a background in architecture that you are most eager to sketch and for what reasons Okay, so another big question. You always ask so many fantastic questions. I could spend an hour talking, unpacking this um, in a way. So um, just quickly, I suppose, the um, how architecture has affected my work as a, in, in general is that idea of what we were talking about, about that discovery, about the quickness, the, the spontaneity of it. Um, but also I'm always trying to analyse things. So um, I'm always trying to see um, the world um, in volumes, in three-dimensional forms, which is quite different from painters who see things as flat shapes or drawers who see things as edges. So I actually, there, um, this is kind of like foundations of all my teaching is the idea that I'd like to switch between um, line, shape and volume. But I always think in volume because that's my architectural training. So I'm always trying to understand, understand space and how things connect. But then I love... Um, I love abstracting that and flattening that to then shapes and just lines and mixing up between the two. Um, so that's really impacted the way um, I draw anything. But like I have a special love for drawing buildings um, and for drawing interesting spaces. So I love it when buildings are not straight in on a street. I have street scenes where it's a curved street um, and there's lots of different shapes that are kind of all overlapping. So, um, you know, anywhere in Europe, you know, kind of old towns where where you've got these rectangular buildings, but they're placed in a way that creates really interesting compositions um, is um, is great. But then I suppose um, buildings, I've before I was sketching, I used to spend um, up to a year after I had visited a a city or a place, researching every building, um, trying to really understand the design behind it. So I've got a real interest in classical architecture. Uh, When I see a building, I don't just see, oh, it's just a building. For me, it's like, ha, I really want to tap into the mindset of the architect and how they use the classical columns and the entablatures and they play with wall space. They they change the the surfaces of the wall that then affects light. So my favourite thing to, to sketch in a way is Baroque. Um, buildings because they're just so over the top and crazy and 
I really hate an- answering the question, what 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 city, you know, what are your favourite cities? Because there's many, many. But like the one, the one that I've cried when I arrived, I got tears in my eyes was Rome. So just because of it's kind of like you know it's the hotbed of of the classical tradition and there's just so many layers of history that um yeah Rome but oh no it's impossible impossible to <laughs> impossible to um yeah to to choose a city but if I if I absolutely had to I think that would be the place uh-huh yeah that that makes that makes a lot of sense um my question was also kind of uh it was coming from the point that as a person who doesn't uh, formally understand architecture and I think about the way that I regard buildings and the way that I appreciate cities and their architecture and in the way that I do is that for me I, I look at in my art at least I look at uh, buildings with respect to the people around them so to me buildings are not usually the subjects themselves but they make subjects if they are juxtaposed to other buildings in interesting ways or if there's some kind of human activity happening around it in some interesting way and then the building can be my backdrop so and i was thinking about i was i was looking through your blog again and i was uh, looking at how you talk about the buildings that you would like to draw and the facets that you notice and it fe- it seems to me that as a non architect or as a person not educated in architecture in any way I only appreciate buildings with respect to my own aesthetic. So my my current 21st century ideas of what is interesting, of what is uh, attractive to me, and that's informed by all the things that I consume. But if I had an education in architecture, I would be able to appreciate architecture based on the time that it was built with the surrounding knowledge of where it's coming from and what came before it that sparked this kind of like the classical forms of roman architecture what was it before that became this and why is this significant what are those special changes like you mentioned just the impact of walls and how they reflect the light and how they work with the floor that wouldn't externally occur to me i might like it if i saw it but i wouldn't know what it is that i like specifically and what's the beautiful aspect of it yes totally and it's it's another whole it's a language and it's and it's a history and there's so much culture in it as well and um yeah i feel um, just like one of the most exciting things that i've done in the last you know 5 or 6 years was to go to italy and teach um the palladian odyssey workshops because um a local friend here, architect Mike Botton, um, he just came up to me one day and said, would you be interested in going to Venice and teach, doing some workshops around the work of Palladio? He had no idea that I have 20 books on Palladio. I have studied him and everything else. But what was so amazing, uh, Palladio is like the most important figure in Western architecture and he's the basis of most of American uh, some Congress, 16th Congress or something, pronounced him the father of American architecture. So he's someone who he wrote, actually it's interesting talking about writing books, drawing and writing. He drew drawings of his of his work and then wrote about them, published in a book, and then that spread the world. And that's why he's so influential because he documented, he wrote a handbook. But it's just been amazing to bring all these people. We thought we'd mainly get um, 
a lot of architects doing the workshop and we do but most of the people come because they want to do a workshop in Italy with me and 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 hang out it's got nothing to do with Palladio and it's so amazing because we we have a local historian who comes and she gives the background um the history as well as that and then all of a sudden these buildings become alive because they're so rooted in the time um, so many innovations in farming and, the, and, and, and and also it's just like the inland from Venice. So anyone who's been to Venice, it kind of ties in with this story. Um, and so that's then this is another whole layer of um, history that that you can apply to what you're looking at. But at the same time, I agree, like when I go to a city, it's like, yes, how is that? It's not just the individual buildings. It's like how is that building framing a space and and like so I, I really like that story as well but for me it's mainly about the space that the people come in it's not so much this individual person with the black backdrop of the building it's here's the space that's creating like the people are less important to me as individuals they're just more important to me as as the the people that are inhabiting the space that's formed by the buildings if you know what I mean yeah 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 uh, that, and like you mentioned about the 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 tutorial the in the workshop in Rome, I, it reminds me of this uh, walking tour I did in Barcelona, and this was before I was an artist. So the idea of drawing what I see did not even occur to me at that point. But we we did a walking tour of the history of the city, and the city is also, of course, of Roman origin, and it's two thousand years old. And they, uh, I was introduced to Gaudi, and while I would have anyway admired his work, but knowing where he came from, the kind of uh, fervor and faith that inspired what he wanted to do, what he wanted to show, the his, the tragedy of his own personal life, all of that tied in, and it made it such a such a much richer experience to see the La Sagrada Familia and to see the other buildings that he worked on. It was all this context really makes you. It, it it takes your appreciation to a second level. And then I feel like if I was an artist, then I would have sketched it so much more differently after my walking tour as before my walking tour. Yes, it's like it's the hidden, it's the hidden story behind it. And in fact, the first time I went to Barcelona, I'd spent three or three weeks traveling all around Spain. So when you see all the Moorish influence down south and then you come up, I then I, I would already I was a Gaudi fan before he's popular when his buildings were still dirty and, you know, really run down. Um and um and yeah, I then had this another layer. So it's like this there's this there's this um layer of history which um and I mean, that's one of the things like when you're actually um, doing urban sketching and you're sketching on location as well, sometimes like the locals will come and talk to you and they'll say, oh, do you know that this, this, this and this? And sometimes they'll give you some some more insights. Um, oh, normally they're not like history professors or something, but they'll give you some local um, cultural background to the scene, which as a tourist, you're just like, oh, that looks pretty kind of thing, um, which makes it so much richer because you're sitting down there and connecting with with the locals and the culture as well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Let's let's now go to something else about your art that I absolutely love. And this is incidentally the first thing I noticed when I came across your work and that's the teacups <laughs> can you can you tell me uh, how the collection began did did it precede your art or is does like 
where does all of this come from? I'm fascinated that you find teacups so fascinating. <laughs> okay, so oh, this could be another long story, which I'll try and uh, abbreviate. But um, in terms of the the, the connection between the teacups and, and Baroque buildings, actually, I've written a couple of articles on that. I really love the idea of the structure that there's often structure and there's a lot of decoration. So it, it kind of ties in with with my favourite buildings. So I've been a tea drinker for like all my life, but I mean, once again, it goes back to, oh, it's mainly my um, teenage years, I started drinking loose leaf tea, but I'd always drink it out of fine china, but they were more mugs because um, it keeps it hotter. Um, always loose leaf mugs, fine china mugs. And then it's related to... Um, the passing away of my great aunt, my auntie Ruby, who was kind of the most creative person that like <laughs> most people know. She was just amazing. And she gave me a, a teacup um, before she died of, of my great, great grandmother or something, 150 years old. So it's kind of like, that was like, oh, wow, that'd be nice to actually use drink out of tea, tea and, and sauces. And then there was also a, um, well, there is a tea brand in um, Australia, which is, goes around the world as well, called Tea Two. Um, that's that really brought tea culture back into being popular in um, in Australia. And they had a tea house, which was this very, very eclectic, um, dark kind of Ch Chinese um, influence, but with other all kinds of different things thrown in. And when I was an architect and working on a crazy, crazy job. Um, on the weekend, I was so exhausted that my outing would be just go to go to that tea house and have a cup of tea and some scones, and they would always give me a different cup. So it's this combination of once again um, a bit of personal story, and then um, you know some of my friends started giving me teacups, and then it just started. Um, I started sketching them and just started to evolve like that. And then when I travelled, I'd always go and find a tea room that was the number one destination in every town. Um, and then I'd buy teacups for special occasions. So I think I've got, I can't even remember, I've got like over 50 teacups um, <laughs> now. Um, so, so, yeah, so always drinking, drinking. It. And, and I think what's nice about the, like the idea of drinking out of a fancy cup is that idea of pausing and taking time to just um, have, a, you know, have a special experience. And when I was working as an architect, it was my evening cup of tea in a fancy teacup, which was the time when I made to do sketches as well. So it's kind of all all kind of tied together. Um, but, yeah, they're always pretty and they're fun to draw. And, and and also every time I draw them, I pick out a different feature. I'm in different mood. So it looks like my tea collection is much bigger because every time I draw a cup, it looks different. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I'm going to pick on the, the drawings about tea themselves, but I do want to also ask you, how do you like to take your tea? Okay, so um, I lots of different types of tea. My go-to is an Earl Grey tea and I do drink it with milk, but mm -hmm. I also like a lot of um, different Chinese oolong teas and, and things like that. But that's, yeah, some kind of Earl Grey um, tea is my, is my go-to. Have have you had uh, tea in the Indian style? Have you had Indian chai? Ah, oh, definitely, definitely, very good. Yeah, because I I make I make uh, we uh, we have coffee and tea at home, and I I was never a coffee person before. I was always a chai person, but living in Europe made me a black coffee person, and now I do both as much as I can. <laughs> But I I love having my my chai as well. And you make such a good point about the teacups because 
if your teacup is a little bit uh, it's not just a completely ordinary cup if, if it's something out of the ordinary then you do pause and notice and appreciate and we can all use more of such moments it's interesting to me that you draw your teacups and you i mean draw and paint your teacups do you think there's some value in in doing something like this which is in one way it's repetitive that the, you know the general structure you know the general shape that you're going to be doing after you've done a few dozen drawings but do you think there's some value in doing that same kind of thing in a in a, some kind of value in the repetition of it yes totally i do I do. I mean, I'm someone that likes doing the same things over and over again. I know there's some people that don't like. Once they've drawn something, they'll never draw it again. But for me, every time I draw it, I, I will be in a different mood, or my, um, you know, my skills have changed in some way. So for me, the teacup is in a way my muse, um, because I, you know, I started doing a lot more of my experimental stuff with my teacup. So the first time I didn't draw any ink lines, it was doing a teacup sketch, and also then a English Baroque building, but you know, always going hand hand in hand. But yeah, so for me, it's like uh, okay, if I want to want to experiment with with uh, with watercolor, um, my teacups are where I do it because it's quite a contained a contained object. It's not super complicated, but the pattern is. Um, and so I I still like you know like, oh I do so many teacups, but I still actually feel like a little bit nervous before I start them because I'm always playing this game with the watercolour that I'm going to come and I'm going to start doing a pattern very loosely and then I'll come and put another wash over the top or something and I'm never quite sure whether it's going to work or not. So there's all this element of risk-taking and that's why it's complex enough but contained enough that it's, um, yeah, it's a good muse. And plus if I need a bit of colour in my sketchbook, I go, oh, what colour haven't I used? Pink. Okay, my pink cups. Um, it just instant colour and richness um, and excitement. Um, so, yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, I'm not, I haven't been doing many this year, but um, I really need to get back into it because when I, I get into this little mode, experimental mode, so that's, that's why the teacups um, uh, have so much value for me to keep, keep, doing, keep doing them, trying different things. I mean, I sometimes think, oh, no, not another teacup. And, you know, occasionally I will get an email saying, can you please do something other than a teacup? Um, so, you know, I get maybe one or two comments a year like that. But most of the time everyone just loves them because it's just, a, um, as you say, it's such a pretty special image. Like um, it, it just, it's like, oh, it makes you smile because it's so out of the ordinary. It makes you pause. Um, but, yeah, I really, I really should... I mean, I do, I do actually talk about the idea of drawing the same thing, like the same things. I mean, these days I actually end up drawing my coffee. <laughs> I draw more coffee than, than tea because um, I go to, I'm, I'm able to, you know, to go to my local cafe at the moment, which I'm incredibly thankful for. And the, the baristas there just go out of their way sometimes to um, do fancy patterns for me and then I feel obliged to sketch it and then all the staff if I don't pull my book and my paint out they go Liz what's wrong with you today are you okay you know so I was like oh you know um it's kind of the, the coffee cup's more of a a, a warm-up a re, like for me it's more like I just want to get the feeling of paint on the page and it's almost a way of getting my like my brain into gear. So it's almost like a meditative ritual in a way. And the worst thing, the worst thing possible is for someone to come and talk to me while I'm doing my coffee cup sketch, because that's when I'm just in the zone. I'm just, um, 
yeah, I, I'm just painting. It's just me just trying to get my creative juices flowing. So, yeah, I and I I like how if you know this way of tying something like a hobby or something like a like a collection in and bringing that to your drawing practice. I mean regardless of anybody else but for you and if i were to do that with something that i really love or some kind of collection i have i can think that i would always find something new in it to appreciate because i appreciate this collection outside of the fact that i draw it or i paint it and that's going to have an effect on just bringing me more regularity in my work and that's something we all need like i feel like so many sketchers struggle with the idea of what do I draw next? And because we keep thinking about the need for something unique or interesting, something never done before. So so that's where my question also comes from, that there's so much to gain if we tie our personal interests with our drawing practice. We can make it a more sustainable practice. We can make it something from which we are more easily able to derive some value. Yes, totally. And I think sometimes there's... Um, there can be sometimes a little bit of guilt thinking that you should be drawing something different, like you should be you should be drawing more complex scenes, or you should be drawing you know you should be drawing people, or you should be drawing you know these various things because you see other artists doing it. But if you're not doing things that interest you, then then the motivation's not going to stay. So that idea of really um, yeah finding the things that interest you and like kind of you know doubling down on those things and 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 there will come a time when you go no I want to broaden I want to do it but if you've got like a, go, a couple of go-to things that you can sketch um, at least you're getting your hand moving and you're um, yeah you're creating it doesn't you know the subject matter in a way it doesn't matter yeah and all the time that you put in whether you're drawing the same thing again and again it still helps you upgrade your skills so if you get more comfortable drawing teacups and painting teacup patterns it would still doing that again and again with different cups or the same cup from different angles it's going to help you improve your skills with watercolors with depicting those colors the act of repetition is such a such a big part of that so um uh, i wanted to ask you about how this comes into like the teaching practice that that you've been doing as well how uh, let's let's go back to the start of it you mentioned how you attended this lecture by matthew brem and he said this thing about teaching being close to so so closely related to learning itself and i i love that quote because i've had that same reaction as you towards teaching that i feel like i don't want to do it because i don't i didn't think that i was Firstly, I didn't think I was qualified to be a teacher per se, what we think of when we think of a teacher. And secondly, I just thought that's not what I want to be involved in. I don't want to tell people what to do. I want to do things. But in my own academic experiences, I learned that teaching is just the best way of learning. And there's there's no other way to to even identify your own blind spots then have to explain it to someone who absolutely doesn't think the same way as you yet so tell me about how you got started with teaching how did how did you take the first steps into it after you decided to do this and how has it evolved over time what is it like now um well the first yeah the first couple of times that i taught it actually fell on my lap um so this is something we were talking about earlier about when 
um, you know, when I left architecture and I didn't know what I was going to do for some reason, and this is, you know, amazing, you know, you open a door and then things come, then things just come through the door. So for me, that was, um, that was the, that was the case that, that um, I got invitations to teach um, at arts societies locally um, and um, a friend asked me to cover for her, but then, but then she didn't end up needing that. So she said, "Why don't you use my studio to, to, to do do your own teaching?" Um, and yeah, and look, that that idea of like, do you know enough to teach? I actually did go into a bit of a tailspin at one point because like, I want to teach, I want to teach the right thing. I want to teach, you know, I want to, you know, teach really well, you know, because I had the time I could. And then another good friend who you've spoken to, Paul Wang, um, he said, teach, teach what you know and share from the heart. Um, and that's another really, um, was really important quote for me. Because it's like, ah, oh, all I need to do is to work out why I do the things I do. And I teach that and I say, well, this is how I do it, um, you know. But when I started teaching, when I started, like, teaching, I just thought, you know, I, I found as an architect that a lot of artists don't define things, right? So I was like, how? what is the definition of a contour drawing? I, I was like, I want to find out what a definition of a contour drawing is. And I, it was interesting. I, like, it, we, all, we all think we know it, but no one actually defines it. You know, so as an architect, I'm trying to actually go into concepts more. So I'm more interested in teaching uh, the concepts. So when I when I prepare a lesson, it's not oh, it's not like oh, here's a here's a picture, this is how I do it, you copy me. It's like, how am I doing this? Why am I doing it? What's the ideas behind it? And that's what I'm really interested in. So that's why in a way I did need to leave my architecture job so I could completely clear my headspace to really dive into that conceptual uh, the con- concepts behind the way that I work, um, and um, yeah, and I just, I, I just found I just love that. That's why I learn so. As you say, <clears throat> excuse me, you learn so much because you've got to analyze and um, codify your own, uh, your own work, your own. Um, you know, even this week, I was asked some questions in one of my, my current online course, and I was like oh, I've got no idea how to answer that question. Like I just do it intuitively. What's the idea? What's the ideas? What are the principles behind the way I'm doing something intuitive? Because that's basically, as artists, we basically got to build our skill set up so that it is intuitive because we can't be possibly thinking about all these things. We just, we just like do it enough. And so we're trying to train their intuition. So to teach, you've got to rewind the steps to work out well. What was what's what was I doing intuitively, and why, and <laughs> like that. <laughs> and separating our intention from our intuition, it it's almost a little. You can almost feel a little intimidated. Like I don't want to upset this whole thing I've got going by putting my thoughts into it, but but in the end, that's that's where the progr- Like there is so much selfish reason to be a teacher. That that's where you will uncover why you do certain things and you might decide to tweak one of them rather than simply repeating them again and again and that's how you get progress that's how you get to your own next level i also love how teaching works in the urban sketching community because uh, kind of what like paul wang said that teach what you know it you don't have to be a person who knows everything to have all the answers. It, it's, I, I just recorded an episode earlier this week with Mike Taikubara, and we were talking about this same idea that 
as artists and as uh, looking at other sketchers everybody in artistic journeys whether they are full time or not you're kind of fumbling around in the dark in the fog and the teachers and uh, urban sketching instructors they're just like people who appear before you suddenly they they come out of the fog and they show they point to point to a certain direction and you know that okay the way i was going was sort of correct and the advice i'm getting here it's almost like they're signposts and they're showing you the way while you everybody's on their own journeys fumbling around in the dark and sometimes being the being the teacher is as helpful as being the student just to see how your ideas and how your mental processes bounce off the work of others and the thoughts of others yes totally and i think there's um something special about uh the urban sketches symposium where there's so many instructors who are very very different styles and approaches and i think that's that's kind of one of the magic of urban sketching is it's not just one particular style of sketching it's it's very diverse and you can go to one workshop in the morning and be taught and be taught something and then you go one to the in the afternoon be taught the completely opposite approach um, which can spin your head a little bit, but then it's it's good because it's like and when I teach, I try to actually say you could do this, you could do this, this, but this is the underlying concept beh- behind these different approaches. But the other thing that I think is really special about Urban Sketches Symposium is that often you'll see other instructors as workshop participants, um, and you know particularly in, the, and then you realise, hey, they, you know you actually see you see their strengths and you see the gaps in their own you think hey they they can't do everything uh, you know there's a few artists that can do can seem that seem to be able to do everything but most of us we've got our strengths and we've got our weaknesses and when you bring us all together like this it it just makes that it, it just it's so inspiring to think hey you know wow um you know such and such is doing a painting a painting workshop even though they mainly draw with lines or the the reverse yeah. um it's fantastic Ab- absolutely i had uh, when i was an instructor at usk chicago seminar shari was one of my students and that was such a it was nerve-wracking in one sense and it was so validating it i just the idea that i have something that i can teach her felt so good and then of course i was able to pick her brain afterwards about what worked and didn't work and that was so useful to me personally to understand from her point of view um so over the years uh, as an as a usk instructor you're leading workshops and now with uh, covid you have of course also pivoted did you pivot to online workshops because of covid or was it something that you had in the works from before was it something you were already doing before that I've been doing them since 2014, so um, I didn't need to pivot at all. Um, I just, I just added a live component to what I was already doing. So, um, yeah. So when I when I when I when I first left architecture, I started doing some local workshops, but not that many people in Australia or Sydney knew about urban sketches at back then in thirteen, like 2013. But my audience was mainly international, so that's why my goal was to do some kind of online um, teaching as soon as possible, um, because that was the only way I thought I'd be able to actually support myself um, is to tap into where my audience was. So yeah, so I've been doing it, um, yeah, for <laughs> six years now. Yeah, wow. I, I was looking at this one workshop that you're—I think you're running it right now—the one about sketchbook design, and. Um, it's such an important concept and it's a concept that doesn't really uh, occur to well it doesn't occur to people who are starting out in this but also it's not something that most experienced artists think very consciously about 
about how they are designing their sketchbooks or what their sketchbooks look like, whether they should have a design. Can you tell me what is the importance of sketchbook design to you, and what are the what are the benefits to somebody who's who's learning, somebody who's good at their art already? How can they benefit from an an idea of sketchbook design? Yeah, well, it's interesting. When I first came online in two thousand and eight, was we kind of before Urban Sketches just started, but the 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 main the community that I came into was Everyday Matters group, which was started by Danny Gregory, which was very much the idea of documenting your day. Um, and it's interesting that like when Urban Sketches like started building momentum, I feel like that the the emphasis on creating sketchbook pages and adding text has really fallen away a lot from or it's a, it's morphed. It's a different community in a way, um, but I've still done that. And I and I think that. Um, it's always for me I, I'm not about the pretty picture as I said I'm about telling the story of my day so uh, the text is a very important part of that and um, the current course that I'm doing um, which is like I've been asked to to put this course together for many years and oh, I finally oh, I can do it um, it's just been so amazing to get the feedback from people because I I kind of knew this but to hear like all these takeaways all the time that it's taking the pressure off people creating masterpieces because I'm sharing techniques to say okay if you just think carefully about where you put on the page and leave white space around it even if the sketch isn't super successful you can make a pleasing spread out of it so in a way it's actually liberating people's um, sketching practice because it's putting less pressure on the sketch and more on this extra overlay of design it's not something that just happens immediately I spend time at the end of the day finishing off my pages um, you know sometimes more elaborate than others when I travel not very elaborate but I'm always thinking about like I want to create this narrative between various pages um, and that's why like Instagram felt like it's a bit frustrating for me because like it doesn't allow that that experience of it um, so it's much more about the artwork. My work is much more about the art, much more than just the artwork. It's all about this whole narrative and and creating um, variety um, and consistency, playing with positive and negative, playing with horizontal and vertical in the elements on the page, but also the sketch and do I contain it? Do I create it open? Do I overlap? There's just it's just this wonderful richness of things that you can do on your page which will then feed into the composition of your actual sketch as well so the two kind of balance each other the more that you spend time on the on the um, page the more that's going to help your composition of your sketches as well yeah yeah I can imagine it influences where like the composition of the sketch in the sense of where you have your subject where you have taller or shorter buildings and the kind of point of view that you're interested in. I was also uh, looking at, uh, looking through your blog and you talk about how you flip through the pages of your sketchbook in order to see how, what kind of patterns are being formed by all these elements that you place on the page. Um, so are there like, um, do you have your own, you know, you've, you've broken it down and you've thought about it a lot, but when you're out there, you're trying to be uh, more let's what's the word for it you're looking for something that you can use directly so do you have some uh, favorite ways that you like to design your sketchbook pages when you start a sketchbook do you think of the a, a, like a, a sketchbook design with respect to the 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 spread of the page the format of the kind of sketchbooks you have 
Uh, no, actually. And one of the interesting things about putting this course together and in, in like setting assignments each week for people, I, which I then do and then I report on a live stream, I actually found it really hard to do my own assignments. Um, so we had like a week, we had a week where we had to contain everything, which means make sure everything's separated, no overlaps, drawn borders. I found them really, really hard. But then towards the end of the week, I started to get into the flow of it. And then the next week when we could be open, I found it really hard because I've been contained. So I don't have any standard, um, you know, standard go-to designs. I basically, and this is one of the things I realised um, just recently because I was filming myself for the course and, and I was like, I wasn't trying, I hadn't prepared at all what I was going to film for the demos for the course because I wanted it to be really spontaneous. And I realised that, yes, I make a decision about where I want to start my sketch on the page depending on what the story is and depending on what the rhythm of the previous pages are. So I'll make a stab. But then halfway through my sketch, um, I start at the focus and work out woods anyway. And so I'm being aware of that. But I haven't been aware until recently that when I pause mid-sketch to go, okay, what am I going to do? You know, I don't put the sky down first. I put the sky down later because I want to make a decision of where it is. But a lot of those decision-making processes are to do with the page, not the sketch. And I didn't realise, I didn't appreciate how much the, the the design of the page influences my work. And that's why I think why if if someone says I'll oh, do a sketch to, you know, do do a sketch to put on a wall or to put in a um, you know, a, a silent auction or something, I always really struggle. And I've realized it's not just because it's because not just because it's not in my book and you know um, it's different format and there's the extra pressure, but because I don't have half of my toolkit with me which is to add to add text to add another sketch you know it would feel really weird to do a sketchbook page on a loose sheet of paper I mean I know you could do it but it feels weird for me um so I yeah so I'm just realizing how important the whole design the creating the book which comes back to this idea of creating a narrative of my life is my number one goal for sketching that's it I want to just document my life I can I can see how having some simple takeaways, like if someone were to subscribe to your course and go through that, it would, like you mentioned, it would take the pressure off, like not only in terms of how good, quote unquote, good your art needs to be on a page in order for the page to look nice, but even when we are addressing this fear of the blank page, like how do I, how do I get into it? If you already have some idea of the different elements you want to place on it apart from the drawing itself it can so you can use some of them almost just to get started and like i've seen some of your sketchbook pages you have a sketch of what you're seeing but there's also the teacup there so i can uh, how i like to think of it is that maybe the teacup is how you and you mentioned this with respect to your coffee mugs your teacup or your coffee mug is how you got onto the page and you sort of warmed up you got a little into that zone and then you were ready to take on the drawing challenge and so i can imagine if you have a sketchbook design and you have a ritual around certain things that you put in certain places that it takes that edge off and it helps you to more smoothly get into the the meat of the set sketch, so to say. So what are some of these elements that you like to place? I've seen that you have an interesting way of putting the date in one corner. You, you draw some uh, horizontal lines in order to write your observations. You even have some biblical quotes there. And then you have the art itself. So how do these different elements play in for you? How do you use, like, if you can think of four or five elements that you have in your arsenal, 
how do you use them and is there a subconscious strategy behind what you use when yeah so i actually have seven elements which i talk about inside the course but um in terms of in terms of um drawing the elements first it's real that's a really interesting question because generally the elements are the things i add afterwards um, in terms of starting the day um, with my date stamp and then and then the Bible passages, they're actually part of the narrative of my life, and I've got I really don't put any design into them. Okay, so it's the first thing I do when I wake up, and I ha- and I mean yeah, actually just th- I've been thinking about it in the last couple of weeks while I'm doing the course. Going maybe I should actually pre like pre think of some occasionally I move where it is on the page but basically it's just I'm starting my day this is the most important part of my day I don't care about my it's more important than my sketchbook okay so it just goes on the page and then it's a limitation almost it's often a limitation from a design point of view right not from the content at all but from a design you know often I think wow if I didn't do that my page I'd be have much more freedom but it's just the way I start my day um, but some of the elements, like just the simple element, the, 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 the three most important, uh, three more, most important elements are just putting some text down, thinking about your headings and drawing borders. And so I normally do the text at the end of the day just because I'm very, uh, being an architect, I'm very obsessive about my neat handwriting. Um, and as an architect, you know, you always drew lines. So I still draw lines. Like it's just, it, it, it becomes a design element in itself. Often my lines extend past, connect bits and pieces. So as I'm working through the day, I don't really think about design that much. I just put things on the page in an interesting location with lots of white space around it. So that's actually another element is I like to think of white space as an element and then at the end of the day, I come and go, okay, this is a really random collection of, th- of things. How can I tie it together? So rather than the elements being being something that gets me into a page, I always just go for it. Um, and, you know, like I actually warm up doing a complicated building. Like the, the last month when I went out to, to film a demo, what was my warm-up? St Mary's Cathedral. That was my warm-up. And then I went and got the teacup. <laughs> Do you think that's because you're in? Do you think that's because of the architecture training that you can treat a building as a warm up? Because I love to draw all kinds of things, but drawing a building is the toughest thing for me to draw. Like especially like you mentioned that you like to draw Baroque architecture, and I'm just thinking that that's that's if I were to draw it, I would just draw like a silhouette of it and then not go into the details because it's just beyond it bogs me down so much to think of those details no that, that's the that's the way, wrong way of thinking about it the hardest buildings to draw are the simplest ones because then you have to worry about getting the perspective right the more complicated ones if you spend a little bit a little bit of time looking for the main structure right so making so that's where you look for the classical orders like the columns and the and the horizontal bits which are called the entablatures most Baroque buildings are really easy because they're just a three by two grid. And then all of this craziness happens between it, between the grid. But once you put the grid on the page, it's it's just fun, fun, fun. Who cares if the decorations are in the wrong spot? Okay. So it's all the way you look at it. <laughs> That's so interesting because, so I remember talking about this with uh, some, ske- some sketchers who are architects in Chicago. And it was a similar sort of thing that we were talking about how uh, the way you describe drawing buildings and being able to see the grid and then being able to see what is essential and what is something that you can uh, play around with or you can work with later as you feel like. It's how I see people and I'm able to see 
the structures and the the general outline shape of the activity that they're involved in and then i feel comfortable uh, getting into the details of it but it's not how i see so it kind of ties into how you were talking about uh you uh seeing sketchers who are so good at certain things but then they have their blind spots or their weak spots and for me certainly it's that i've seen sketchers who are so good at drawing buildings and cityscapes and then i look at how they draw people and i just think why couldn't they do that why couldn't they bring that same you know nonchalant bravado with the person that with the way they considering the way they dressed uh, they drew the building with such nonchalance that i could never summon up and it's the reverse for me that if uh, if i have to draw a person i'm i'm really quick at it but when it comes to the building i'm immediately like that 3 by 2 grid would never occur to me that i could i could do that or that i i wouldn't even be able to see it so i guess i also need to there's there's so many nice urban sketching workshops i need to attend as soon as possible Yeah, well, Chicago. Chicago buildings are about the worst buildings possible to draw, from my point of view, because they're all this very neat, especially the old, the old, um, the old skyscrapers with very defined windows. Like, ah, uh, you know, I had to like psych myself up and do a lot of research, going, how am I going to approach skyscrapers? Because they're not my favourite. But well, like when it comes to drawing people, you know, I'm I'm one of those people who, um, I'm one of those sketchers who, um. you know don't feel very confident during people and the main reason is because i haven't put in that the time to really understand the structure of the human figure well enough so i can sketch it in the same with the same e so i spend a lot of time researching um because i really want to understand as you say i want to understand the structure i want to see the skeleton beneath it um i want to be able to have that same volumetric and that structural approach to drawing people um as i do for buildings so that i can draw it in the same style so i mean that's purely just my lack of of spare time to to and focus to to really get my knowledge base up and that that's a great way to put it uh, so i i taught myself i went through this process of self education in how to draw after i left my research career and i was thinking i'm going to be a writer now and it was because of chicago that i did this so i would walk around chicago and i would draw every day and that's how i learned how to draw and i love that you mentioned windows because windows are also my nemesis i hate i hate drawing windows especially when they're all in one line and they're all in perfect proportion i just it's so infuriating to have to get that right and get it right all the time it's just and i i i i try to not do that when all these years that i've been sketching in in chicago but uh i love that you said that you have to build your knowledge base because that's how i thought about it when i set out to teach myself that i have to build a vocabulary of shapes that i'm able to do and a vocabulary of lines so i have to have and i at that moment i was thinking about almost exclusively about the human form and i would think that i need to know how to draw 500 types of eyes or 20 types of noses and chin shapes and jaw lines and that's how i'll be once i have that vocabulary down i'll be able to draw people quite comfortably and it's the same thing with buildings that you have to get that vocabulary down you have to break be able to first break it down into its elements and then be able to draw those elements as you see them in different buildings in different styles and different perspectives yes but i think there's one there's one bi- like big difference between sketching people and sketching buildings and i think that buildings the basic volumes and everything of sketching buildings much easier to learn 
than it is to learn this, the structure of the, the human figure. But once you've learned that of the human figure, right, and you've, you know, you've got a male and a female in your head, then when you go out sketching, you're basically modifying, you're modifying, you see a person and each person is, is unique and distinct, but they have the same features. So you modify your kind of general framework, but that you're that you're using. So you in a way you're using 80% of your knowledge base and 20% is unique, unique to that person's features and that person's um gesture or whatever, say, for example. But when you come to a building, I my, all my knowledge base only ever gets me to 50%. Because every building is designed completely differently. And so I still have that that 50% of discovery. And working out how am I going to draw this? Even so, you know, all of my knowledge only gets me. So that's why, like, yes, buildings, obviously, they can't compare in terms of, you know, the life and the story and everything else of drawing people. Um, I acknowledge that. But there's, for, for me and my interest, I, there's still 50% to really, for me to really get my teeth into um, often of working out how did this building go together? It's so different. How do they do these? You know, so that every, every building is kind of new for me. Um, because I get into that that detail and that discovery of how it was put together. And that's that's again such a nice tip that in order to be able to learn how to do something better, it's good to approach it not just from the drawing point of view, but also to learn a little bit about it. So I feel hearing from you that if I learned to understand buildings better, I would also be able to start to see that character in them and start to see that that kind of perspective in them, which would enable me to then draw it in with that enhanced knowledge, draw it more easily, draw it more intuitively, and maybe increase my knowledge base in that way. And more interpretive too, too. So there you go, okay, I don't need to draw every window. The, the thing that interests me is this particular aspect of it. And and I think also, like what you said earlier, and like I agree with that idea of practice is good but practice can actually lead to cementing bad habits so for me drawing people for example like a really obvious thing is like drawing the head too big right and if you just keep drawing people without actually doing specific study and checking yourself it's you're going to actually cement a bad habit you're always going to draw heads too big unless you you incorporate the practice with this with this um, education this real self-study dive deep and testing yourself as well and that's where workshops are great because you've got the external person coming and saying, hey, look, just this one line, just you've done this wrong, you know, this is out of whack, fix that, and then everything will fall to pieces, fall into pieces, not fall to pieces, yeah. fall into pieces, <laughs> <laughs> into place. Fall into place. <laughs> into place, that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this uh, brings me kind of to my final question. I was, and we've we've sort of built up to it in such a nice way that I'm happy to organically reach this point. Speaking of knowledge bases, what is it that you are looking forward to discovering now? What are the, some areas where you want to personally, as an artist, focus in order to improve, in order to you know discover new things? love this question you know I, I you know I think this is kind of a question we should be asking each other all the time so because my um my emphasis is trying to um have this flow and have this ease and be able to like not work quickly for the sake of working quickly but just for the sake of the flow I want to be able to say more um with less and I want um to in a way, abstract my work a little bit. So I want to be able to, yeah, not draw everything, 
but really break things down, find my own story in a scene, um, and just with minimal strokes and lines be able to capture the essence of it. So it's almost going to this a little bit more abstract um, down a bit of a realistic abstraction is what I'm I'm really wanting to do with my work. And for that, I need to stop teaching for a while and just go into my own bubble so that I can just focus on trying to get there. Yeah, uh, it, that, that does remind me of what you were saying. Uh, I also looked at your book, for example, you have a book that whose title is the five minute five minute sketching architecture yeah super quick techniques and I love I love giving people super quick techniques so my workshop is about teaching people how to draw human figures in 30 seconds or one minute and why that's important so can you tell me also in a similar way why you think the five minute like I don't expect that you sketch all your sketches in five minutes or even most of your sketches in five minutes, but why nonetheless are the techniques of quick sketching useful for artists? Um, I think because to be able to draw quickly, you have to have your skills, your observational skills really sharp. And so it's not quick for the sake of quick. Um, it's this, it's the fact that to be able to draw quickly and accurately, you've got to work really hard. You've got to be really sure of of your eye hand coordination, of simplifying what you see. Um, so for me, it, the the I mean, my natural pace is is quick anyway. So I have to. I'm trying to all. I mean, actually slowing down my pace, but my sketches are going quicker because I'm saying less. I'm saying more with less, if you know what I mean. So that's that's my main thing. And also because it takes off that pressure. I don't have time to spend two hours doing a sketch as well. So I'm able to sketch more of my life by by simplifying what I'm trying to, to say and, and how quick my sketches are. Um, and, yes, the five-minute uh, five sketching is a series. So, you know, when they approached me, I said, oh, you can't do, you can't do architecture in five minutes. I need at least seven, you know, come on. Um, <laughs> um, but, but so I broke it down into little steps and it's like if you should be able to, like, you know, find the structure and get the structure and the main volumes down in five minutes. And if you can do that, then you can take your time drawing all the details. And I feel like that's such a great lesson because if in five minutes, like uh, uh, it's something I also think that it's not necessary that you be able to always draw in five minutes or that you be able to complete your drawings. And there's no special medal you get for having done that as opposed to 10, 15, or even for, for one hour. It's just this, the mental aspect of being able to break down your scene, identify its elements, zero in on what's interesting to you. And if we can do that as quickly as possible, like if you're drawing a human figure or you're drawing a building, and you're trying to do it in five minutes, what you're really do achieving, whether or not your drawing is good or not, what you're really achieving is the ability to find the important parts very quickly and just move from one important part to the other. And just that process of having done that and what's on the page at the end of that, that session is so valuable because then you know what interests you or what catches your eye first. Yes, it's the clarity. It's like five, the five-minute clarity in a way. It's like having a very clear idea of what you're trying to do in your sketch and getting the, the, big, the big picture locked in, whether it's actually even, fin even on your page in those five minutes. But in that first five minutes, you, yeah, you, you, know what, you know what you're after. You can change your mind, which I do all the time, but you have this very clear idea of what, what, where you're starting and what you're starting with.
Yeah, yeah, I I love that. Thank you so much, Liz. This was such a such a great conversation. I had a lot of fun speaking with you, and I learned a lot of things. And I love the things that like the things that we share that are in common with the way we think because that gives me so much confidence about the ideas I have. It, this was such a delightful conversation for me. And for me too. Fantastic. Um, just ah, just I would yeah, could talk for another two hours. I mean, so many great things and. I mean, I love I love talking to engineers. I'm an architect. I'm used to talking to engineers. So it's the way we think about things when we combine the art, I think, leads to some special insights. So thank you so much for um, asking me to be on the podcast. Such a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like speaking about the engineering aspect, like so much of what you said vibed with me as an engineer. Like when you mentioned uh, having uh, like trying to do more with less, that's such a core efficiency related engineering concept i sometimes have to explain myself as being lazy but that's not exactly it it's not laziness it's the fact that why would you do with more what you can do with less there's it's not it doesn't make a lot of logical sense to have 50 lines if 10 lines can do that same job and thinking about it in that respect also feels to me like it's such a engineering or architectural approach that when you do it in this manner you are centering around what you want to say or what you want that sketch to suggest to communicate with someone rather than it being what it is just for the sake of being that way. of drawing things in five minutes is really very important because it is both fun and very very useful we can all spare five minutes out of our day and we will all be better for the effort also another idea that stuck with me from this conversation is the value of repetition in art so if you're still listening here's a little assignment from me for the next week, uh, draw something every day in just five minutes. Let's unpack that statement. Draw something, but draw the same thing every day. It can be something lying around your home, something that is part of your daily life or your daily commute. Maybe it's your coffee mug or a teacup. Maybe it's the view in front of your desk. Draw it every day for a week in just five minutes. Every day is an important factor. Don't skip even one day. Give it a whole week. And finally, do it in just five minutes. This part really matters too. If the thing you want to draw seems like it would need more time, don't give it more time. Squeeze it into five minutes. Draw it in a way that you can finish inside five minutes. This act, this exercise will require you to take Creative executive decisions like not drawing certain details or skipping the shadows or ditching the colors altogether. If you're afraid of making mistakes, don't be. Make mistakes for five minutes every day. Make bad drawings, but keep it simple. Draw something every day for a week in just five minutes. After a week, I promise you will be pleased at your effort. You will have gained new insight into your art that you didn't have before. And at that point, I would love for you to share that insight with me. So email me or tag me on Instagram so that we can talk about it. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time and for your attention. See you in the next episode.